What we expect out of next gen. Games, features, and more. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, is Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 191. 191. If you are new to the show and want to see where you can find us on social media or you know interact with us outside of the show, stick around, and uh, we always get to that at the end during cleanup, but we like to start this show off in a nice, fun, friendly, and just long-cultured, cultured, <laughs> long tradition, <laughs> I guess culture and tradition are a little bit in line but a long tradition of talking to each other about what we've been up to and what we've been playing i actually this week did not see Saul near as much as i think has been common recently yeah. i don't know exactly why but you know it happens work technically i guess mm. but uh i've played a lot of games this week that's so weird because I expected your one answer to be Destiny Two. It I is. I know you've played that. It is. So I will skimp over that because I've been playing that for like four weeks now straight or whatever it has been. Um, so I, uh, on this show, at the end of the last episode, I downloaded Slay the Spire on PC. After talking about it, yeah, I've been playing it on PC as well as my phone. It's on phone. Yeah, it's a little hard to like play, but it's better than nothing, I guess. Because like attack cards, you're supposed to like drag them. It seems like it'd be easier. No, it's it's with not. with a touch control. I mean, I think it's maybe the same. it won't, but it's the same as keyboard and mouse. But it's really not intuitive that way for me either. See, um, it's a game that I think on Switch and Vita made a lot of sense because of the touch screen. I, I think, never, I never used the touch screen. So whenever you played, because you did, you only play on Switch or did you play on PS4? No, I only played on Switch. Okay, and I've been playing on Steam with my Xbox controller. So on Switch, does it support touch screen? I have no clue. I never tried. A lot of games don't, which always makes me wonder why I even have the touchscreen if you're not going to utilize it. True. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I guess looking at that kind of game, it kind of makes me think of like Hearthstone. I always thought Hearthstone on phone made a lot of sense because, honestly, setting the cards out that way felt better than just using controls well, because typically it's a little more clumsy in at least in old school card games, like the old Yu-Gi-Oh games for Game Boy and PS2 and stuff, where you'd have to kind of like go through your cards and then choose one and then set where you want it. It funny, makes a lot more sense to pick it up and drag it. Funny you mentioned Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, mm. But, yeah, like I, it's not as intuitive as using a controller. Or the Switch, which um, is my favorite way to play. So how do you do it? Do you click the card and then just select which person you want to hit it with? No, it's kind of like how you play on key PC or keyboard and mouse. It's like you um, you take the card and you like drag the card onto the enemy. It has like a little arrow. Okay, but how do you do it on the controller, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Arrow, it's just a um, selection mechanic. Like you, That's what I'm saying. So you like select a, the card, and then there's just an arrow that goes above who you want to play it on. Yeah, right? so like this, you have to go like this. Which, as you can see, is kind of annoying to do. Like, it's not, it's, it's not great. Whereas on controller, it's like you click the card, and then you just use the D-pad or the analog stick to move over the enemy. Okay. Um, with, with like a selection arrow. I think I see why, though. It's because... Probably so that the game doesn't accidentally play cards in the wrong things. You got to like drag up and then over instead of being able to drag like directly to the enemy. Yeah, it's partially. It looks like it's you want your UI to be big enough to where you know what cards you're using. Right. So but that, then you only have so much real estate on a touch screen, and I imagine that 
your phone's pretty big, but the switch screen is still bigger, not yeah. by a ton. So yeah, I guess it would be a problem unless you had like a massive. Like I'm, I'm sure on a laptop, it probably wouldn't be bad if you just. I don't even know if you can use touch controls on a laptop. Well, well I, I mean, I, your laptop naturally just takes your finger as a left click, so it should work even if the game doesn't support it. True, natively, you know what I mean. Um, but I played that, and it's one of those games that like I just kind of lose myself in. But every time you've played it, I know. I have also played. I'm gonna go off a really weird list here this week. I have played Pokemon Emerald on an actual handheld. Chrono Trigger. Final Fantasy VI, advanced version. Yu-Gi-Oh! Sacred Cards. Okay. Golden Eye. I know what happened. Your retro pie came in. It's retroid, but Whatever. yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, it came in. Um, what else is there? Sonic Adventure Advanced. Uh, I never played those. It's They're good. I've they're heard so. They're so good. All the Sonic Advanced games are really good. Yeah, I've um, heard so. Uh, oh, what's... I can't... Why am I blanking? It's, it's an RPG. Game Boy Advance. It's one of my favorite RPGs on Game Boy Advance. It starts with Golden. Oh, Golden Sun? Golden Sun. I don't know why I could not yeah. remember that. Uh, that game is really good. So I've played all those games to at least an hour of degree. And I'm missing some. Like, there's... Super Mario 64. <laughs> like, I can just keep going <laughs> on this list. Uh, Pokemon Liquid Crystal. So I'm assuming you were... Oh, Liquid Crystal, the fan-made? It's a... Yeah, it's a... You, you're the one that I think turned me on to it. Yeah, uh, forever ago. But right. it is Fire Red that is modded to be Crystal. You know what's weird is I'm pretty sure I originally played that on PSP emulator. You did. That's how I had it. It's because you, you gave that to Seth or whatever. Then I borrowed it to play yeah. uh, Birth by Sleep, and then Whew. it was on there. I actually thought that. I mean, I I think I beat that one a long time ago. It's pretty cool. That was when I got open to the wide world of Pokemon mods, which I think is a cool idea. Because, I mean, the Pokemon games are simplistic and basic design. So you can You can play this game with, like, it's. I don't know if it's worth it. But it's kind of slow. It's not as responsive as you'd think. Yeah, because like if I'm using this, I could just go. Yeah, sure. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, so that makes sense. I was wondering why you're playing them on. I guess technically you were playing on a real uh, on a handheld and a real one at that, but I, not necessarily the one that the game was made for. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I really, I really enjoy it. Um, it's the Retroid Two, though, isn't it? Retroid Pocket Two. Yeah. The, yeah. the only thing is, is that. It took three months to get here. It took from almost three months. It took from September twelfth till November the th- or December the third. I think is when I got it. And it's a neat little machine. Like it comes preloaded with games, um, and then they have like a little store you could just go in and download games you want. Um, but yeah, it, it's I f- should have taken this picture sideways. But it's a cool little machine. Interesting. I got the one with the PlayStation colored buttons. Oh. And then they have some that you can actually swap out, but uh, the screen's nice and bright and, and crisp, and it's I haven't had a single issue out of it yet, so... Are those the one that's moderately reasonably priced, or is this the one that's a little expensive? Is this the one that's like 89 or 119 This was $90 shipped. $90, $90 $80 before shipping. Okay, yeah, it's about 89 yeah. There, there's one called like the Embernic, which is another one I kind of want to get just to compare, and to get like the best version of it... Is um like the 350 GM I think is uh 139 I think. That's not, I mean, it's weird because it's kind of old technology, but it's so you think it'd be cheaper, but it's having to emulate all of these, so it has to have a lot of overhead to do so. Battery life is real important on those kinds of things because you know used to I think that people the reason that people flocked to the PSP was because it was a really big emulation powerhouse. Yeah, at the time. 
So when you can take a real official handheld and the Vita, now that it's there too, it's a great emulation powerhouse for the most part. It's not as good as PSP, sadly, though the ironic part is that a lot of people will take the PSP emulator that is actually somewhat built into the, because you know the Vita is natively supported by, I think, the CPU it's built in, but then the GPU stuff, either way, the PSP parts are kind of in it, so you can download an emulator that's really just pulling from that side and then you can emulate through the emulator so you can run the game boy advance emulator through the psp emulator through the vita the retro pocket 2 kind of works on that because you use a system called retro arc yeah and then you use retro arc use an emulator within an emulator to emulate the game in a way and um see i thought retro arc was just kind of like a suite of emulators pulled together into a single unit but let me see if it's still the same price. Yeah, eighty dollars shipped. The only thing, I, the only thing compared to like the other one that I like is that you can tell like there's oops a lip down here at the bottom, like the speaker and the select home buttons. Mm-hmm. When I think feel like they could have been up on the face somewhere because the Ambernick, I keep saying Ambernick, where your where your screen goes directly to the bottom of the device. Yes, like that. That looks like that'd be smaller, but mm-hmm. this isn't super big. It's like this big, and it has. Um, it has uh, like four triggers. It has the the bumpers and then the actual triggers on yeah. them. Uses USB C to charge. It's a really nice machine. Um, this is not a dual analog stick though. That is one of those sliders. Sliders, yeah. Which is I don't know if I'd ever use it because like I don't know what I'd be playing to use it. That would require a second analog yeah, stick. Yeah, because there's it, some 64 games that use it. I mean, you know, is there? Because there wasn't a second analog stick on. And there's some PS1 games as well. Oh, but yeah, you had the C-stick on the 64. You had the C-buttons. Yeah, I guess that could be something it could use. Um, but I don't know how it would emulate out those buttons, if it would just map those to the slider or... Let me tell you, GoldenEye is not aged well. GoldenEye is not aged well. I but there's this great TikTok, and I don't have TikTok, but somebody ended up sharing it. Thankfully, you can watch it without having to have one. It's a guy who's booting up a Nintendo 64, easily probably like 40 years old. And he's like, oh, you don't know. And then you hear the GoldenEye music in the background. And then they kind of swoop the camera over and you see the little, you know, the, the barrel going down to where you can see the guy walking and then he turns and shoots. Yeah. It was just, it, it was funny because there's a time or there was a point in time. And I still think a lot of people have strong nostalgia for GoldenEye to where when you see that, it is a little hard not to think back about all those great years of that. Even though, telling you, playing that game now. If you can, if you weren't just like the biggest fan to where you are blinded by nostalgia, that game does not hold up at all. Well, it's very frustrating to play. Yeah, like because I have that game uh, on Nintendo sixty four, and that should be, I guess, a disclaimer as well. Is like if you're going to listen to my advice, only emulate games you own, because that's you know the legal aspect of it. And obviously, I own all these games except for these ROM hacks, and um, but. Yeah, it's one-dimensional, like one-plane aiming. Like, you walk forward and aim left and right all with one stick, and then you hold a button, or you can actually toggle it to um, to aim your reticules. It's not fun. Mm. But, um... Yeah, the reason I brought up the C-stick, though, is I thought I remembered, and it's been a long time, but either Ocarina of Time, and if not Ocarina of Time, then... Majora's, Majora's mask. mask. Majora's mask was the one that allowed. allowed you to control camera with a C stick, or you could do the thing where you'd click at the back and it would just kind of follow you. 
Yeah, I like, think if you touch the t- the C stick or the C buttons, that it would break the camera and you could freely move it. But otherwise, it was you couldn't do that on Nintendo sixty four. You could aim with it. You could aim on the new three DS. You could you had the, I know the new three DS. I'm talking about the original and even I'm, I'm trying to think back at those because you know you had the center analog stick, then you had the C sticks over to the left side, right? The C buttons or the, the those C, the ones on the right. The C buttons are on the right, but I haven't held a Nintendo sixty four controller in forever because they're an abomination. But you, the top three that you use are all your items. And then there is there is like one that you can click. I don't remember what button it is, but you can use it to adjust your camera angle. But I don't you think know I've what ever I think, used them. I think it's that you. I think you're right. I think you can hit down the C down button, and mm-hmm. it does the zoom in where you can just use the analog stick to free move. That's what it the is. Camera. Yeah, like so, yeah, you hit zoom in, and it goes like to the back of your head and almost a first person kind of thing, and you can look up and down. Where and it's stuff. like the yeah, you just look yeah. around. But the thing, the the fact that they have the C buttons, which you know, is very much in line with the idea of the C stick they ended up doing in the 64. I mean, it's 64, the GameCube. I really, I'm pretty sure that there is a game that uses that as secondary camera, kind of like how the PSP did with uh, first person shooters where you would aim with the face buttons. So if you were going around a corner, you just hold square and it would just That's move. Kind of how um, the 3DS or the DS did. The DS, if you remember Retro Prime Hunter, he used the face yeah. buttons to use as an aiming stick. See, Unless- for some reason I thought... Was it set up both ways where you could aim with the touchpad and the stylus and move around, but you could also do the buttons? Yeah, you could. I don't know if you had to change it in settings, but like you could always. The stylus aiming was the best once you got used to it. Yeah, probably. But you know, then there's the games like the Kingdom Hearts games back on the Game Boy, or not, well, not the Game Boy, but the DS and even the PSP, where the DS ones were set up to where the camera was automatically mapped to the touch, you know, screen at the bottom, the the stylus thing. But I would immediately go in on all of those and make it to where the LR buttons. Yeah. And everybody hated the LR buttons for camera and PS2 for Kingdom Hearts 1, and rightfully so, because you had a second analog stick there, so why it had not? No point. But at the same time, the L and R are better than your alternatives sometimes. It's kind of like those Zelda games that they made for the DS that are I don't think are inherently bad games. The ones that are sequels to Wind Waker. But oh, Spirit yeah. Tracks Phantom and Glass. Phantom Hourglass, where you have to use the stylus to control Link, and that's terrible. I don't know why would anybody want to do that. Yeah, I just that they was were fun games though. Or I, I say that I didn't play Spirit Tracks at all, but yeah. Seth had uh, Phantom Hourglass, and I played it when he had it. Some of the puzzles are really cool. Yeah, th- I just feel like it's weird to lock someone to that being the only way to play. Like at least mix right. Have it where you can directly control Link, but then certain things you have to tap. You have to like hold it with one side and move and then use the stylus to move other things. There's plenty of ways you can utilize a touchscreen without making it to where the entire game has to have the touchscreen. That's a, that's a cardinal sin of gaming, I feel like. And that's where when people get mad that games are built entirely around a singular gimmick, if it's a gimmick that you don't like or just doesn't work right, then the game ends up falling flat. Like, I didn't play it, and I can't remember exact Little Deviance is what it was called. It was a Vita launch game. I didn't play it. wasn't my type of game. But I'm pretty sure that you had to completely control the game with using the back touchpad to oh, like nope. bounce people around and then using the gyroscope to spin. I could clearly be wrong on that. I didn't play it, but the marketing made it seem as such. So I was like, I'll pass. I'm not going to play that. No, yeah, that <laughs> so, sounds like garbage. See, or you can do the cool thing that like Little Big Planet Vita did which was one of my favorite ones where they use the touch screen and the touch pad in cool ways to where you control Sackboy as usual, but then you get to parts where you can see something that gives you a visual aid of, oh, you've got to poke this out and hold your finger there to create a platform for you to jump on, or you can touch the front and back screen and pull something up. It was There's a lot of cool ways that they in, like 
work those things together without tying the whole game to it. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, you have that system. Why not? Though that gets to that thing, if that game doesn't do well, you have very little options in taking that game off of there, depending on how built it was. I finally played Tearaway Unfolded, the PS4 version, and mm-hmm. I remember you saying that Annie had played it, and I love the Vita version. They changed so much for the PS4 version because you had to. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I didn't like it as much. It still it looks great, but... And it wasn't terrible, but it lost some of its charm inherently. Like, you know, it's trying to talk about this. It's a you, but... Oh, you know, I was playing on PS5, so my camera wasn't hooked up. I wonder if I had my PS4 camera hooked up, if it would shine through. Because that was cool about the Vita. I downloaded Tearaway on Vita for Kyrie to play afterwards because she liked it. And she was freaking out and laughing and just having a good time about how it would show the sun and then you'd see your face in the from the camera in the sun. Yeah. And she thought that was cool. And I was like, it was part of the charm of that like game. Like Teletubbies. Well, because there's a part of the on, on PS5 when we were playing it backwards compatible. It's talking about the scraps that are coming down. And it's like, oh, they're invading from the used world. But you just see the sun and there's this like, open hole with light shining through and they're just coming in. I'm like, well, that's not near as fun as seeing your face and be like, oh, they're actually coming in from my world. Yeah. I don't know. What did you play this week? Because I came in and you were playing Demon Souls. Yeah, I actually started that again today. I had to take a break because I had to play Spider-Man for our spoiler chats, which is up now for patrons. So go give that a listen. It will be up next Friday uh, on all free services. So wait around if you're not a patron. Uh, and we hope you enjoyed that one. But... I had to take a break from it, and then I'm still kind of chasing the 100 plat, and I need two of them. So I've been playing other stuff to kind of work my way through that, and I've been playing more of Sackboy. Mm-hmm. And it was a self-imposed limit for myself, but because I just decided it would be cool to do it, you don't have to do this for the platinum at all. I'd set it to where I would not move forward in the level until I 100% to the level. Okay. So it was like, okay, I will go to the next level, once I've done this one. Now, there's a couple of co-op levels per world that I just couldn't do because I don't have a second controller. Uh, but every other thing, if a special level popped up on the side that's like these remix levels where you redo a part but with a change-up, I would go to that immediately, make sure I got the gold on it to 100% it, move on to the next level. Very similar you played Crash Bandicoot. A little, a little bit. I kind of dropped it on Crash Bandicoot. I tried my best on that, but it's... Uh, Crash Bandicoot was a lot harder in that regard. That's also probably true. Now, this game is still challenging in the later levels. It w- it felt really good if I could discipline myself just enough to 100% gold seal the level my first try, which means not dying, getting the high score, and finding all collectible items and all five Dreamer orbs per level. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's if I could do that first time, and I did that on a couple of late-stage levels, it was really cool. But... Talk about the craziest change. The last trophy I have left before I have to focus on the multiplayer trophies, which I'm going to figure out exactly how to do, is there's these things called these knitted night trials. And they're specifically things built around like a single function of the game that you're going to do. So there's 15 of those. And the first one is like a bunch of rolling enemies and you're just having to work your way through them to get to the end, but they're timed and you have to pick up clocks on the way to get your time down so that you can get gold. Right. I got gold on all of those pretty much first, second, maybe third try on a couple doing really well. When you beat the 15th one, it unlocks the 16th level, which is called string it or the trophy. I think is called string it together. It's called the rip snorter, the level. 
and it takes all 15 levels and puts them sequentially with no breaks in between and you have to do them all so you'll do the rolling thing and then as soon as you get to the end of that it it transitions seamlessly like it's built together for you to go into the next one which i think is these little tilty things regardless you go through and the gold time and you can pick up clocks so you you're going to actually have played for longer but to get the gold time it takes 10 minutes so that means for one level you're playing for at least 10 minutes i haven't even completed the level yet <laughs> And I did all of the other ones fairly easy, but man, I've I've gotten mad. And for Are the first sure? time in a while, uh, it's been three years. Another chair has suffered a broken arm. I noticed that when I sat down to play Demon Souls. You did notice that, but you I didn't was, say anything. I, I was like, "Yep, something happened here." It caught the fury. <laughs> I was like, Are you sure this isn't as hard as Crash was? That's what's weird. Is like the game's definitely challenging, but. And sometimes, like, if I, if I wouldn't go through, I'd be like, well, okay, I've already died, so I'm still going to focus on everything else. Then I'll do a run-through where I don't have to focus on getting a score or anything. Just don't die until you get to the end. But this right here, this may be just as challenging as anything in Crash was. So It sounds like it. But it's going to piss me off because it's, sing- it's the only trophy besides multiplayer ones that's going to keep me from getting this platinum if I can't do this. I got an... Halfway through, if you get hit twice, if you fall off the map at any point in time, which is pretty easy because a lot of them are based, built around that, immediate death. You got to restart. If you get hit twice throughout the entire run, you can mess up twice. And you'll, if you get hit a second time, you die. <laughs> Why punish yourself like this? It was fun at first. <laughs> but now I don't know. So I'm, I'm almost thinking it might be easier for me to just platinum Demon Souls. <laughs> or Bloodborne. If I wasn't playing Demon Souls right now, I actually probably would be inclined to go play Bloodborne. I don't want to mix those up right now. When you decide to, let me know. Yeah. And I will show you the the chalice dungeons you need to get. Is there a way to kind of get it to play towards your favor where you can get the Queen of Yarnum quickly? No. But once you beat Bloodstarved Beast, you get the central chalice. Mm-hmm. Then you can search for chalices. So all you got to do is search for the chalice that gives you the coolest weapon in the game, the Chikagi. And then search for the other chalice that allows you to farm blood souls. Is it the Chikagi isn't that a weapon that's in all of the Souls games? I don't know. I don't, or is I, it the Yuki? I don't, it definitely is not in uh, like Dark Souls one, two, or three. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's now there's like the Yuchi Gitata. I think that's what I'm thinking. That's, of, that's the Yuchi Gitata. Yeah. yeah. And this is. It's weird because this isn't even really a katana. It looks like one, but it's not. It's like a Western katana. Okay. Um, but it's really, really, really cool. Um, well, and overpowered. So speaking of overpowered, Saul Saul, whenever I came in. Yeah, magic. Wow. I decided, because I've always played every Souls game, every Souls-like game as a heavy build. That's just the way I play it. And that's why I think I didn't have as many problems as I think some people did going to something like Lords of the Fallen, where Harkin is just a heavy character, because you don't have a class so much as you just have him. But I... Started the game as the normal knight with the fluted armor set, and I've gotten pretty far, but since I had to take a break, I was like, I'm just going to, when I come back, I'm going to finally do something I've never done in this game or in Bloodborne and play it out of order. Right. And if I'm going to do that, I might as well switch my thing up. So Josh Ayers, one of our patrons and good longtime listeners, good friends, he had mentioned to Rude Cold, one of our other ones, Sean, that he should try the royalty build. So I decided to try it, and it makes the game... It, vastly different. You approach everything 
a lot different than you typically would. It doesn't even look fun. <laughs> it, it It's weird because at first, it's not as easy. I, I don't know. The, sometimes it's easier than others. But the thing is, is I'm fairly positive because I've heard of this build and seen a little bit of it in the past. That's why I knew like where to go get the Crescent Falchion pretty early on and whatnot. But it's definitely different. And at first... I flew through one one the you know tower the Boletaria Castle gates, and then when I got the phalanx, I noticed that since I moved through everything else so quickly, I didn't gain enough of the fire items I needed. So I had to slowly pick off all of the little black sludge things off of it so I could attack the core. I used what I could, like I had a couple of fire bombs and a couple like like four things of pine resin, and. I didn't die or even really get hurt through it. It just took me longer to do than it did on my night because my night I played through slow and methodically like I typically do. And part of it's that I'm immediately replaying something I'm super familiar with again. I don't think I ever fought Phalanx without using pine resins and firebombs. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I did, but I ended up having to kill it by just literally attacking it because I ran out. Uh, but it worked out for the most part. Playing with a rapier is a lot different. It's a lot quicker. Not having a fat roll is a lot different. And honestly, you're talking about the fact that the magic is allows you to kind of pick people off from afar. And then the Crescent Falcon is great because it does damage multiplier based off of your magic stats. So you're just you're creating a great little combo there. But the thing that got me the most was playing without a fat roll. It almost felt wrong to me. I was like, I feel like I've broken the game, and that it's supposed to have. Excuse me, it's supposed to have some kind of a weight to it whenever I'm bouncing back, but no. the quick rolls in those games, you immediately spring back up like you didn't even just somersault. Yeah. Like Which, I, for well, gameplay purposes, I could see why that's useful. Yeah, for all purposes. <laughs> you you started it, right? You started uh, Mortal Shell, didn't you? Yes. Okay. Mortal Shell was a lot more like what I usually play, though there was some lighter people, but it felt like I did whenever I played Mortal Shell without the shell. When you're doing the shellless run in Mortal Shell, but it feels more equal because in if in when you don't have a shell on, if you get hit a single time, you're dead. So it feels like, well, you're super fast, but also if you get hit, you're done. Yeah, like it, it was heavy, but in a different way, in a way for me. Um, oh, um, Mortal Shell. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's weighted differently. I still think in replaying, you know, in, in replaying Demon Souls now and. Dark Souls 3 not that long ago and playing all these different ones as much as I like a lot of the different Souls-likes, definitely like Remnant from the Ashes because it takes the Souls-like idea and puts a gun to it so Mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be as good, it's just interesting by nature. It was kind of like that Immortals Unchained or whatever which was also a I played it at PSX. It was pretty cool at PSX. The but Dark it was, Souls of Shooters. It, it was called. clearly early Yeah, uh, and it's very much it was a lot like Mortal Shell with a gun so I do kind of want to try that, but so far of all the ones I've played, Mortal Shell definitely nails the tone, vibe, and gameplay ex- expectations of that while still doing something new and fresh. I like that. Um, can you put your Catalyst in your left hand and then your Falchion in your right? I think so. You need to do that. Because that's how I play Battle Mages in Dark Souls 3. Is that like... And it might be because... This is why I thought it was boring. It's because the spell wasn't exactly spectacular. I'm sure you'll get better spells. This, this is the starting spell. Okay. So Solar it's arrow. Solar Arrow. Okay. So yeah. you'll probably... There's one that's very similar to it, but does way more damage. Great Solar Arrow. Um, I don't know. What, hold on. What I, is it's, it? it's, like I said, I've never done the magic build. I just remember when I used to work at GameStop when this game first came out. 
um, it was a little bit after actually that it came out. But when I worked there and I was talking with one of my coworkers who played it, he was saying that that was the build he'd run. So he talked to me about it. And that's why I remembered like there's the Crescent Falcon, And I remember the Crescent items in general go towards magic. So I would normally, yeah. I would normally avoid them late game because I wasn't much of a magic builder, but early game, it's good for all classes. Yeah. Um, but I never messed with that. So getting it early today also feels weird because I don't normally go to four one first. So normally I would be going to four one very late game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm trying to think. But for, cause I guess for me, cause it's, it should go soul great. No, maybe not. Maybe it's soul heavy soul arrow. Great arrow. In all, the, it's in, it's in all the games that way. It's it's. I can't remember what it is though. I think heavy just has a longer casting time, and they all do different <laughs> magic consumptions. Um, but that's something that for me, it'll probably get better by the end of it. But also, um, if you could definitely put your catalyst in your left hand and then your you sword, could, yeah, yeah, it'd be much different for me because I'd be casting, and then as they come close, I'd slash. I'm sure you can. Okay. I, I can't imagine any reason that you can't, but I don't actually know the answer to that. See, I never touched magic in Dark Demon Souls. I did Halberd. I never touched it in Dark Souls 3. It's funny that you mentioned that when you're doing Battle Mage, but one of the things I remember hearing a lot from the internet groups of people who play it was that Dark Souls 3, among all of them, probably did the most to castrate magic. <laughs> they did, especially after Dark Souls 2. Because in Dark Souls 2, within the first hour of the game you can have hexes and you can get binoculars also within the first like 20 minutes of the game and so you can just zoom in yeah you zoom in and then whatever is in the center of your screen you just line up an enemy to your screen on the binoculars and then you could cast your spell and it'd fly and hit the enemy like but it, it all depends on spell distance too because you can just snipe across the entire map yeah that's what i was about to say soul arrow has a very small thing so i didn't complete it because i thought i'm gonna make this harder on myself when i get to the bridge to go towards tower knight but you know the first time that you run across the dragon bridge where he ends up burning up all the soldiers the yeah. first time you're running before you ever even fight phalanx. Yeah, not even the real dragon bridge, yeah. like the first one. Yeah, the first yeah. one. I noticed that if I got to the other side, killed the two archers that are there, and just waited for him to continuously, if you stay right there, he'll continuously come. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that if I would just wait for him to come, I could lock onto him, shoot him, do 19 damage. He'd go through. And I always remember, but I was never very good at it, if you're good with the bow and arrow... At the actual Dragon Bridge, you can get to the top of the first little rampart thing, and you can wait for him to fly over, and you can shoot him with the arrow. And you can keep doing that so that you can kill him and then go back to the hill that he's normally guarding and get all the items. So I was like, you could technically do that with this build right here, but I'm fairly positive that would mean he would not be alive to later assist you on the bridge. So I'm going to yeah. wait, and then I'm going to get to the top of that first rampart, and I'm going to see if I – or I'm going to go through all of it, go back, get to the first rampart, and see if I can kill him, go back and get those items, because I've never done that. I knew you could, never been able to. So due to the open nature – we'll get off this subject here in a second, because people who hate Dark Souls and New like, Souls God, are just, these guys. But um, due to the open nature of Dark Souls 1, if you started with the Master Key, there's actually something you can do entirely to mitigate the dragon on lower um, – I can't remember the the name of the first area in Dark Souls. It's lower Dark Souls one. I've not played in so long. I don't remember any of the area's names besides Blight Town because it's the infamous one. It's lower something. Um, I hardly remember any of the stuff from Dark Souls. Lower Undead Berg. Um, mm-hmm. So like everybody remembers that there's a dragon bridge in Dark Souls. It's right after Solaire. You could actually not even worry about that. Like there's there's literally a way. 
that if you start with the undead or with the uh, the key, you go uh, to the bottom of um, the. <laughs> I don't know. Why I can't remember locations of Dark Souls One for anything. Because you've replayed it recently. I've replayed That's what's it. weird. I replayed it recently. I beat it at Soul Level One. Like within the past year, I've done so much in that game with a remaster. But I can't think. Oh, of... I forgot you did Soul Level One run. That's cool. Yeah, it's a super easy in Dark Souls One. Super, super easy. Um, you tried that Soul Level One run here. For no, Dark Souls no, 3. No, that was a speed run. Or that was a full play. Oh, was that not a Soul Level 1 run? No. You did level? Uh-uh. Yeah, if, if, I was, if I did the Soul Level 1 run here, I would have uh, been stuck on Soul Ascender for four days, like I was in real life. <laughs> but um, I can't think of what it was called, but it's, it's the, the lower ruins. Um, and... The old Londo ruins, or whatever it's called, the Londo ruins. You get down there, use the thief key to go out the door. You can pass Blight Town, go all the way down, um, uh, eventually to the garden or whatever it's called, and then you could go up the tower where Havel is, and you will be at the Taurus Demon's boss fight. And you never triggered the dragon at a Lower Undead Berg, so then you could just run across the bridge, and he's never there. It isn't until I think you sleep at the bonfire, you rest at the bonfire, that he appears. See, that's one of the cool things about these games, but since I don't typically replay them, I don't ever find these things out. Yeah. But I remembered, because I've, Demon Souls is the one I've replayed the most. Actually, it's not a, it's and, not lower. And, and still, I've only beaten it, beaten it a single time, and Bloodborne, I've only beaten it a single time, but I've replayed it a few times. And... Those are the two where I started realizing a lot of that stuff was there. I remember in the old Demon Souls, because there was all sorts of little things where I was like, oh, if you do this, this happens. Like that game, it, these games are all about cause and effect. Like the fact that you can attack NPCs, I always thought was wild. Because, you know, most games, it's like, well, it's an NPC. They're just there. But I like that here. It's like, well, he's an NPC and he's there. Like, you know, I did, since I started my new run today, I rolled, instead of doing what I usually do, and going down through all the things and then killing the little vagrant dudes or whatever that are blocking the guy who's up on the... I can't remember any of the names either. I just did it today. But um, the, the guy who gives you the brass telescope in Demon Souls early, there's a part where when you're coming down the stairs, you can see where he's at. And if you're on the stairs and you roll over, you can actually get to him. Isn't talk he the to one him. that's up on like a platform? Yeah. Am I remember there's that dredglings or whatever they're called down below him. Yeah. And you're above him the first time you see him, but normally you work your way down and then he yells to you from across that if you'll beat the dredglings, he'll, you know, it'd be great assistance or whatever. But this time I decided to do the roll over the, from the stairs, jump over and roll over the thing. And then I thought it was cool. His dialogue was completely different. He goes, ah, mighty jump, my brave of you or whatever. Oh. And then he's like, if you'll be so kind as to help me deal with these dredglings. So I was like, okay, cool. I got the item that's up there with him. And then jumped down and beat them. And it was cool because I don't normally do this. He, like I said, normally the way I go, they're all dead. But since I went the opposite way, he was helping me fight everything on the way back. Which was just, I don't know. I, I thought that was cool. Because it reminded me of the Dragon Slayer dude who's in Boletaria Castle. with Wearing the red and whatever armor. Red and white armor. I can't remember his name either. He's a... I can't remember him either. I can't remember his class either, but... And there's the two dragons that are fighting you, and he'll follow you around as long as you don't attack him on accident. I made the mistake when me and Seth were playing originally of attacking him on accident, and then he aggroed me forever. And I think I just quit that run. <laughs> Had to restart. But, yeah, Demon's Souls was my other thing. I haven't really played much else um, at all. I did try Warframe, I think, after we last recorded, just to see what it was like on the PS5 version, and it looks considerably better. That's pretty cool. Destiny's update's coming out on Tuesday, I think. 
Nice. I would. I mean, just out of curiosity, because I think I still have Destiny installed. I'll probably hop in and see, but yeah, my want to play Destiny doesn't exist. So, but before we head over into the community's take, we're gonna take a minute to shout out our sponsor, Manscaped. And I'm gonna tell you guys something. You know what my life, my wife loves just as much as she loves Christmas, or almost as much as she loves Christmas, a well-groomed bush. And I'm not talking about our 43rd president. I'm talking about downstairs, guys. So, if you want to give your wife or your partner, maybe you don't have a wife, maybe you have a husband or whatever it be, clean up downstairs by going to manscaped.com and typing in discount code SQRD to get 20% off your first order and free shipping. Now, I'm going to tell you guys right now, if you go to Manscaped right now, they're actually doing a holiday sale that's that exact thing. But if you're going there anyway... Why not just use that code and, and help your boys out in the show? Yeah. I mean, pick up a pair of uh, boxers and a T-shirt. Honestly, if if you just make one choice this year, get a new pair of boxers from them. Because I tell, I'm telling you right now, somebody who works in a somewhat environment-rich environment. Um, <laughs> environment-rich. You don't want a swampy butt and stuff like that. And I, I found that these have helped great with that as well as the ball toner and the ball deodorant. So... Yeah. Say it like they do. Go to manscaped.com and use discount code SQRD and you get 20% off in free shipping and your balls will thank you. Your balls will thank you. With a little bit of strategery, you can have your wife steal your shirt. Yes. And then you'll never have it again. No, I got it back. Oh, good. Yeah, I stole it. Oh, you stole it? Stole it back. That's a crime, but that's okay. I guess she she crimed you to begin with. It's it's a comfy shirt. (laughs) Telling you. All right, guys. Our community's take question this week came from one of our listeners, and it was Mister, excuse me, Matt Green. He says, "What's been your favorite game you've gotten from PS Plus so far on PS4?" And if I remember correctly, he answered. Over here, he said, some of my favorite PS Plus memories came from Broforce with Sean One Neo, one of our other patrons and friends, just like Matt is. Uh, so Broforce, Velocity 2X, always find myself going back to it when I'm waiting for something to download. Or three, Injustice, I love the story to it. Yeah, Injustice came as an early free game, if I'm remembering correctly, and I... Love the game. I ended up, uh, I think I got it for free as well, and ended up really liking it. And so when Injustice 2 came out, I'm not huge on fighting games, but I remember that I really wanted to borrow it from a friend to be able to experience the story because they did an exceptional job with it. And I also really liked Mortal Kombat 9 story. Mortal Kombat 10 dropped me completely, and I didn't, because of that, I wasn't even interested in 11. But at the same time, I hope 11 is good. So he he has some honorable mentions. He says Day of the Tentacles and Nostalgia All the Way. Remember playing it in the early 90s on PC? I uh, platinumed that game the yeah. day it came out because uh, that's a super fun game. The day it came out on PS Plus. Yeah, I remember that because <laughs> it was toward the end of you being like, oh, I'm going to platinum stuff. Yeah, like it was it was at the end of my trophy hunting career, and I looked at the trophies for it. I'm like, there's no missable trophies. And it turns out there is, and thankfully I paid attention to it uh, towards the end of the game, it's a short, short game. It's like a four-hour game, maybe if that. Isn't the other game that they did as well at that time? Because uh, that was a Tim Schafer game. Yeah. What is that other one where it's like the motorcycle guy? It's killing me, but it's a very it, similar type of game. I know what it is. I just can't think of the title. I've never played either of them, but I remember when I was a kid, we didn't have a computer for a long time, so I remember seeing people playing it and talking about it, but I just had no clue what to do because couldn't. But yeah, 
There are very easy games to uh, platinum from what I'm understanding, but full throttle. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I always think of the energy drink. Anyway, he says, uh, Life is Strange, first time I played this type of game and I was hooked on the story, so I'm assuming he means like an episodic style game. That is a really good game. And then Batman slash Borderlands Telltale Games. I didn't realize Batman was a free one, but now that you mention it, I'd already owned it, so that's why I didn't get it. The Borderlands one was a huge surprise to me. I had very little, very low expectations, and it was actually Saul that got me to play it. It's a good game. It was a good game. I just don't normally care for Borderlands all that much. So I thought, how do you... I didn't play Minecraft either, but it was when they did Minecraft story mode, I remember thinking, why do you make a story in Minecraft? See, um... Goes to show you can make a good story in anything if you just have people that care. Never mind, I'm not going to say anything else about the matter. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> you know, the, t- the Telltale story in general is just rough... They had all these licenses for all these big IP, but maybe they should have done a little bit more original IP. Because I, how do they get these things review well, seemingly sell well, and then still go under? It has to be because of how expensive it was to license those games to begin with. I don't you, know. you would think so, yeah. Yeah, weird one. Speaking of Sean One Neo, he says I've got to say the new Worms Rumble coming straight to PS Plus had me a little concerned, but it's really addictive and I'm impressed. As a longtime fan of the Worms franchise, I'm glad that Team Seventeen Ltd is happy to experiment a little bit. After all, we still have turn-based Worms WMD. And yeah, I remember when I saw Worms, and I've only tangentially played them. I remember I played a little bit of them on PSP. I think there was one on Vita. I tried. And I'm not super familiar with them, but I always knew that they were that. So seeing this one be kind of real time from what the showcase they did for PS5 was was interesting. And seeing it come straight to PS Plus for free, Sony's making some big moves with PS Plus early days. They are. Um, I totally agree. I think Big Smacks was a big move there. Big Smacks. Bug Smacks. Bug Snacks. Bug Smacks. <laughs> Why can I not speak? Maybe it's because the Bug Snacks theme song smacks. So you were just like... I haven't heard it yet. I haven't watched anything about that game because that, that's going to be one of the first PS5 games I'll play. You'll definitely enjoy it. I'm ready for you to play it. Uh, anyway, I'm going to go grab a couple. That was over on Twitter. I'm going to go grab a couple off of our Facebook. Josh Ayers, as we mentioned earlier, one of our friends and patrons, he says, there have been a ton of great PS4 games on PS Plus, Bloodborne, Detroit, Ratchet, and Clank, but I'd played them all before they came to PS Plus. So I'll have to say Dust and Elysium Tell as an early PS4, PS Plus game, but a fun platform adventure game with a great art style. I started that game, and I really enjoyed it. And I remember what happened, and it's nothing, no fault of the game. I probably got, if I had to guess from the things I had done, a quarter to a third of the way through, was having a good time. But then something came out and pulled me away from it, and I just never thought of it again. And that doesn't mean anything against the game. It was just a lot was going on, and I ended up dropping it. But it had a cool art style for sure, and I actually liked the gameplay. I thought it was really cool. It, I don't know if you remember seeing this game. It's like you play as like a wolf. No, I, even looking at it now on Google, I don't I don't recognize this game at all. Yeah, it's it kind of reminded me though a little different of that Omen Sight game that I had played that had a sequel to it before that I'm failing to remember what series it came from. It wasn't Dust, but it was another art style game of kind of like the anthropomorphized animals, just like Omen Sight was. There's a cartoon that was like a. Uh, on the WB4 Kids or whatever it's called that reminds me of that. I can't think of what that is. And like the same age, like Metabots and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know, man. You talk about a lot of shows back then. Yeah. 
WB was where it was at. Uh, Josh Farmier says, Rocket League, as much as it pisses me off now, uh, he said, as much as it pisses me off now anyway, it was I was never this bad or it was never this bad a few years ago. It's still my most played game. Rocket League is the one I expected to see the most of just because it was that flash in the pan where I don't think anybody quite knew what they were getting into. Downloaded a brand new game. This is also prime ps plus just like we're seeing right now this was sony being on top of their game and be like you're getting, you're getting a game day and date with release bam yeah great game rocket league also took me by a huge surprise and i had basically platinum the game aside from running through the little trial sets without ever even intending to but that was pretty cool yeah so going back and just doing that to get the platinum was like man i played this game way more than i thought you know what I should go back and do now that PS5 shows it, even for PS4 games, is go and look at how many hours I logged in that game. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see, because I know I'd have a couple hundred, I would guess. Mm-hmm. You want to go grab some more off of uh, Twitter or maybe on the Discord? Sure. On Discord, Rude Cold, a good buddy of ours, long-term buddy, he says, easy answer for me, and that's Transistor from Supergiant Games. I have never really played Bastion, but the art style and character design instantly appealed to me. Playing the game, the combat was unlike anything I had played before with so much variety, and then the story, visuals, and soundtrack blew me away. Been a huge super fine, uh, super giant Games fan ever since, and so glad that Hades is doing so well for them now. I need to play Hades. Hades looks really cool, and if I'm remembering right, it's kind of like a roguelike aspect, right? Where every time you go, you restart. And I remember seeing the story is something along the lines of you're the son of Hades trying to escape hell. It looks really cool. I was like, I, have, I, I don't know anything about it other than yeah. the one what, from the visuals that I've seen. It's only twenty four bucks on Steam. Yeah, they had another game that came out too that I can't think of right now. Were they, were they the ones behind Pyre? No. Or was that? I can't remember who that was, but it wasn't Super Giant. I don't think. No, it was Pyre. It was. Yeah. Because I remember I saw it and it looked really cool too. I saw it at PSX. Oh, I'm thinking of a different game. I'm thinking of um. Jotun, Thunder Lotus. Jotun, yeah. Thunder Lotus is awesome. But, um, yeah, so are Supergiant. I got Bastion, and now that you mention it, Bastion's actually one of those free games that I ended up downloading on Vita and playing, and it was fantastic. I had no clue what I was getting into, but it had really great voice acting for the little bit that was there, had a really interesting story, had great music, and it was just fun gameplay. Um, I have been meaning to get into ba- uh, to Transistor. I think it was one of those games where I used to not, I'd forget often to go and just redeem the game. So I don't know if I have Transistor. I don't think I do. I think I'd have to buy it. I definitely do. That's the first time I played it too. Um, even though it didn't, it I liked it a lot, but something else had was either out or I was playing at the time sucked me away from it. I remember you playing it and then you weren't. Because you were yeah. talking about liking it and playing it, and then I don't think you ever you never beat it, right? I never beat it, no. Yeah. Um, that's the same. That's the shame about PS Plus games is that because you don't have any monetary investment, I feel like they are naturally a little easier unless they're just exceptional. Like it's it's they're naturally easier to leave your mind because you don't think about well, I spent sixty bucks on this or twenty bucks or right. You don't think about it in the same way, so it's like well, I can come back to it, but. As all of us one-track mine or me one-track mine, and then otherwise you have a ton of different games you want to play, it eventually leaves the rotation and you never play it again. That's true. <laughs> um, awesome Dave on Discord said, I think I would need to choose a recent game, and that would be Hollow Knight. I've been a big fan of Metroidvania genre for quite a while, and Hollow Knight has been the best experience I've had uh, playing one in a while. The game plays amazingly, looks amazing, sounds amazing, 
The first time in a long time I've gotten a game on PS Plus and beat the main story of the game the same month I downloaded it, which kind of goes into what we were just talking about. Yeah. It's just so easy to pull away from, you know? It I is, get it. yeah. Uh. That's a good answer, too, because even though I didn't play Hollow Knight because of PS Plus, I have it. But um, I, I kind of want to play it on PS4 just to turn my PS4 on, just to have a reason to. Um, Hollow Knight is, as we talked about on Game of the Generation thing, Hollow Knight is one of those pleasant surprises where something about it struck me as soon as I visually saw it. I didn't even see it in motion. I just saw it and thought, that's a really cool art style. Yeah. And seeing, oh, it's a Switch game. And I was like, darn. Because I knew like from the from the art style or from the picture it showed, you can tell it's most likely a Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. It's a 2D one. And it has a really cool art style. I didn't know anything else about it. But everything else just comes together and makes such a great game. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Dave. That was really cool. And last one on Discord, we have Zaxol. He says, my favorite game that I don't didn't think I would like, but has since loved and have collected every physical version and remastered versions of, is Yakuza Kiwami. I got that game for free as well. Played it. Didn't know what to expect because I had friends who, whenever I worked at GameStop, would constantly be psyched, uh, like hyped up about the new Yakuza games on PS3 at the time. And I was worried. Got into it, played it, loved it. Now, this is where the disappointment comes in for me. <laughs> I tried playing Yakuza 0. I don't know what it was. I think I expected it to be more like Kiwami, and it was kind of weird that it was like partially everything in real time, partially some of the things being read, and I don't know. It didn't click with me. I don't know what I'm going to do if I'm ever going to go back and play it. I did start Judgment up and played it a little bit, and... As weird as it may be for a lot of people, I actually kind of appreciated that it had a English dub, and English dub was pretty good. So I may go back and play it some more as well, but Kiwami was a great game, and I really enjoyed it. That was kind of like Awesome Dave talked about. I started it and played nothing but it the entire time, and it didn't drop my attention at all, and I thought that was really good. I didn't have a lot going on at the time, so that was kind of part of it, but I'm glad that it happened that way. I'm going to grab one more from over on Twitter. We got a couple over there. Uh Mr. Dennis, Kevin Bacon Bits, one of our patrons, he says, hands down, Resogun. One of PlayStation's best games, still play it to this day and have it on my PS5. I am fairly positive that we're going to see something as we we know that Mark is working on a new game for PS5, but this is one of those things where it's a lot like Insomniac and all these other developers where I would really not be surprised at all i'd actually be more surprised if we go this whole generation and this doesn't happen i think house mark will end up being acquired by sony it's just michael miller says resogun or rocket league personally so i mean those are games that people go through a lot people mention bloodborne but like a lot of people say they owned it by the time it came to the service so it was just kind of a hey it's cool to have it like for me it was cool to have it back because my bloodborne disc didn't work for some reason like you could put it in but it wouldn't load and it wouldn't install correctly, so the game just didn't work. But getting it on PS Plus, I had it again. Yay! <laughs> did they? Uh, did they ever give out Monster Hunter? Wait, I'm so confused. Monster Hunter World is a part of the PlayStation Plus collection for PS5. No, this website is dumb. I was going through to look and see what Yakuza game I downloaded, and it was Kiwami. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says, and it took me all the way back to the top. It said Monster Hunter. World Iceborne. And I'm like, I don't have Iceborne, so why does it say Iceborne? And I clicked on it, and it's like, nope, just Monster Hunter World. It's That was partially how they did it. They rebranded Monster Hunter World as Iceborne. So even though I have the disc in there, when I put it in, it says Monster Hunter World Iceborne. 
I don't really know why, because that's not what I own. Maybe it is going like a traditional MMO, because like te- technically, uh, it's somewhere down here at the bottom. Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen does that in a similar way. At least I think it does. Where it's like now it's no longer a Realm Reborn; it's whatever the current expansion is. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, for a long time, it was Shadowbringers or whatever it was. called. Maybe not. I think it still is. I don't know if they have a new expansion come out or not. So I don't know. Is it like a weird thing where they always go to the one that's the most uh, important? Uh, oh well. So what is your game favorite game of PS Plus? And since since a lot of the people did it. And I assume this is kind of how you picked anyways. One that you bought on PS Plus that is like you never had before or played before. Yeah. I, you know, in my mind, I, I've been thinking and thinking and thinking. But I, st- I think just like Josh Farmer, I think it ends up being Rocket League. I don't think any other game that I got for free that I did there kept my attention that long, wowed me, didn't anticipate any of it. I mean, Kiwami's a good second runner-up. Because there's been plenty of games that I'll play and be like, oh, I'm really glad I played that. Then there's other games I get where I'm probably going to hurt somebody's feelings here. I'm not trying to, but I played Mad Max, which we got for free. And it was really cool, but it had the Ubisoft game problem where it's just a big map full of stuff that is supposed to be interesting, but But really isn't. So I felt like... I was constantly having to do a bunch of other stuff to actually try and play the interesting story, which was interesting, but it ended up being that I played for like 20 to 25 hours, which I felt like should have been the runtime of the game. And instead I wasn't done with the story yet because there's all this other stuff to do. And at the time I was doing it as part of the PS plus uh, pals thing too. Yeah. We were playing it that way and it just lost my attention and I think I ended up playing it where I was trying to do some of the side content and normal open world stuff just to do it. And I actually think I ended up pulling myself out of it because of that. My ideal way to play it would have just been to play as much as possible doing just the story. But I'm going to say Rocket League. See, mine's Tales of the Borderlands. And that's why I said I'm going to quit talking about it right now. Because I didn't expect it to be not only funny, but like sad. Like at the end of the game where, uh, spoilers for Tales of the Borderlands, when Scooter Mm. dies... He's like, catch a rod. And he's like crying. I'm like, I was laughing at the same time. I like had a it tear roll sad. down. I was like, that's sad. I think Infamous First Lights also. I came back way later, so I almost don't think of it in that regard. But I did get it as a PS Plus game, and it was really good. Yeah. So, Obviously, I would say Bloodborne, but that doesn't count. Yeah. I bought it way beforehand. No, I trust me. I feel you. Uh, I was going to come let you see this because I know that you don't typically, you're not on Facebook. You don't have one, so you don't get to see this stuff. But uh, one of our newer listeners, or actually I think he's been listening for a while, but he's started reaching out and interacting with us. He said, uh, it's Barry J. Rogers. He said, just wanted to give a shout out to this group slash podcast. I've always played video games, but in the past five years, I've been a Madden and Call of Duty only guy. And listening to this podcast made me realize how much I was missing out on what my PlayStation could do. Too long to not read. Thank you for getting me back into gaming uh, with other games than basic bro games. He's currently playing Assassin's Creed um, Odyssey, or not Odyssey, Valhalla on PS5, and he's having a blast. And um, we, I talked to him a little bit more. He says he's going to try God of War next because that's of good. what we were talking about on the thing. But this one was pretty cool, too. Kyle Grimm, one of our newer people that's been interacting, he joined the Facebook group. And I like what he put here. He says... He's played a variety of games with his time being limited, so until he's off of work in the winter, he plays a lot of games through Brett and Saul in a way. So he was telling him that. Hearing their experiences and commentary on the games paint a good picture of what to expect. I'm real excited to get into this large library of games I've picked up over the last few months and go all in on them. I hope you're enjoying Assassin's Creed as much as I have so far. I just thought it was cool. Yeah. And it's kind of like 
that was the that's the cool thing about when I used to listen to podcasts for gaming. I tried not to now so that we just don't bleed together and end up having a similar product. I like to know that what we're talking about and what we're thinking about is just us. And it's personal because yeah. for me, almost talking about certain things like um like a month ago, um or maybe like a month and a half ago, we were talking about Nier and it, and just talking about it and hearing you talk about it and the conversation motivated me like, I want to play this game again so bad because yeah. of how fun this conversation is. And that's when I thought, I was like, well, I probably should if it's a game of the year contender anyways. And that's kind of what led me in there. And there's a, there's oftentimes, like just last week, I was talking about how fun Slay the Spire was. And that motivated me to just go bot off Steam. Just yeah. wiped it in there. Yeah. Um, he, for anybody who doesn't know or doesn't watch, he was playing it while we were recording last week. No, I wasn't. Hold on. You're lying. <laughs> you're making it sound like I played the... the I, I started it up to see if my laptop could even run it properly. Hey, all I said is that you were playing it. You weren't playing it the whole time. I didn't even play it for like longer than two minutes. Will it make you feel better to know that typically whenever we're recording midweek matinee, I'm normally playing RuneScape the entire time? Yeah, you told Unless me. I'm hosting? Even then, I think that unless it's obviously brought attention to, I could be playing Slay the Spire right now and you would never know. I know. That's my point. Like it wasn't a, I wasn't putting anything against you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, that was pretty cool. So Barry, glad that you found us and yeah. glad that you're liking the podcast. Hope you enjoy God of War. Thank you, Barry. Yeah, I really um, if I would, if, I, if if you will have my recommendation, I would recommend that both of y'all play Bloodborne like ASAP. And I'm not joking with that because I think that it's such a drastic change from what y'all are currently experiencing, or at least Barry specifically. Um, it's such a hard game. Especially, I don't know if I'd say hard. Such a weird word. It's definitely gonna be hard for somebody who's only played Madden Call of Duty lately. Yeah, it's true. It'll it'll be super challenging. Uh, Playing Valhalla is good because you're at least getting into a somewhat. You are getting into a kind of a of another similar genre um, for sure. But definitely get into Bloodborne and don't give up. Trust me. The the first like two bosses of that game. I'm not gonna say a couple hours because it could take you ten or fifteen. But the first two bosses of that game are are so hard when you first started playing. Um, and feel free to hit me up in discord because, um, I don't mind helping people out with how you should level up, like what stats you need to pick, you know, whatever, and have no, have no critique or judgment on yourself for going to like YouTube and looking up a guide and like telling you like, Hey, put stats into this. Cause these games ultimately are so free form that you can do that. And it's not like you're breaking the game. And it's not like you're spoiling yourself. I will say though. Don't go watch a walkthrough as you play. Don't read a walkthrough before you play. Get help. Soak it in. Yeah, get help as you need it, but don't don't like go look up what the next boss is or don't go look up like what the next area layout is. Don't go do any of that. Um and honestly, if I was out to read guides so that you can see like what your stats should be because nowadays the game is so old, people don't care about spoiling it. And that goes for any of the Dark Souls games or Bloodborne. Um, so yeah, definitely if you if you want somebody who won't spoil it, but I can give you and this goes for the entire Soulsborne series. I can give you tips on how to get around areas and tips as, in terms of stat and character development uh, without giving anything away. Like yeah. I can even give you like easy farming spots for where you're at or something. I say and there's there's not really farming in those games, but. And in the Discord, we have a Soulsborne chat, so you can probably hit him up there and, and talk with him there. And we have other people that are big fans of the series, so a lot of people can help you in that regard. Yeah. If you do to try to decide to play it. And I'd say that my last thing there, personally, is I agree with Saul. Experience the game naturally, and then when you get to a spot, if you know that you just can't get through it, I personally find no shame in knowing that you have to have help. I've helped a number of my friends get through Father Gaswan or Gascoin, whatever we finally landed Gaswan. on. 
Gus Quentin. But I've helped a number of my friends get through him because he's really hard, and he's the actual first required boss. Actually, he's not. Cleric Beast is technically the first boss. But first boss, but you don't have to beat him. He's completely optional. Cleric Beast? Yeah. True, yeah. That's what I mean. So oh, by to continue, required. you yeah. have to go through I, I recommend, one, and he's hard. I recommend anybody who plays that game first. There's two bosses in the first area. One's named Father Gas One, one's Cleric Beast. Go find Cleric Beast and kill it first. It's hard. Hard as... Father gets gone in some parts. Go go to that boss first, um, and don't be okay. Here's something else in in a, in, a, in a very quick last tip. There's two things that I want you to be ashamed of in those games. Yes, enemies chase you. Don't don't be mad that you have to like or don't feel the need like you can't run past things because you can. You absolutely can. Um, That's how I got the platinum in Mortal Shell. They'll chase you, but um, just run past them if like. They often put enemies in front of boss gates. Don't feel like you have to go kill all the enemies to go back into the boss gate. Just run to the boss gate if you can. Uh, and number two is if you, there are plenty of glitches and get in this game, like duplication glitches and stuff like that, that have survived as they're not uh, they're no longer updating the game anymore. If you feel like you want to go do that and get to like level six hundred, then go through the game and play it. It'll be easy, but it's still a game worth experiencing. And it still will be challenging. Just because it, it's easy doesn't mean you don't have to try. Yeah, like like I'm telling you right now. Even like what I do using this uh, chalice dungeon where like I literally take 12 steps forward and I get like 80,000 blood echoes and then I walk back or, or I use the um, I use the hum- hunter's charm or whatever it's called to go back to the lamp and then I just keep doing that over and over again. Even using that and even getting my blood level up to like I don't ever go past like 120 or like 140. I always do 25 uh, skill, 50 blood tinge and I think 40. 40 health and 40 endurance or something like that. Does that game have soft caps like all the other ones do? It does, yeah. I um, there's, all, there's a couple of things that don't scale with those. But anyways, um, reach out to me on Discord in our Soulsborn chat if you if you really want help. But I recommend anybody playing. I would play, I recommend Bloodborne entirely, the first Souls game you would play. Don't, people will say start with Dark Souls. If you really want like that kind of aesthetic, go for it. But if you want to get into the series, start with Bloodborne or Demon Souls if you have a PS5. That's it. If you have PS5, Demon Souls is also I won't be able to help way. you out with that one as much because I've played that one once and it was 10 years ago. So I, I could help you out with it in about a month, but not right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Into the so, main topic. The main topic for today is a very simple one. And that's why we're not having news. If you normally come to this show for news, don't fear. It's going to come back. Uh, right now, we're kind of just rolling through, which I think is a little bit better for all of our schedules and stuff to have these dedicated episodes where we talk about kind of a single thing until we're ready and um, do something with a slight change of pace at the end of the year. And then we'll get back to the news-heavy stuff probably late December or January. Yeah, so, it'll probably be episode 193 that the news will be back because 192 will be our game of the year which is next week's. And then I would think that going forward, it'll be back in January. I'll just, we'll just say early January sometime. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, and we kind of hinted at it when we talked about the retrospect of the last gen consoles and things that happened, things that we liked, things that we didn't, but it's more of looking forward at what we want from this gen and pretty much any sense of the word. Like, you know, what do we want in games? What do we want in studio acquisitions or not? Uh, you know, do we want to see a company move towards a specific direction? So we're kind of going to open up the chat on that. And then I think we're going to leave the community's take question to be kind of open to you. Like, what do you want out of PS5 from our Xbox Series X or yeah, Series X or even at this point, technically switch which is part of this generation 
as weird as that always is to say. Yep. It's, it's just every Nintendo product is part of every generation. They're omni-generational. I guess so. Cause the you know, Wii when, U is part of the generation. When you think of the Wii U being part of the PS4 gen, yeah. it's like that doesn't even register. Uh-huh. <laughs> like at least the Switch being graphically pretty similar to the Wii U but having the handheld function, you can be like, okay, well, we'll consider it part of next gen, but at least it's doing something unique. It's so, the Wii U technically was unique. It just, oh, yeah, there, it's, it's weird, weird times. So yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, what is this ninth gen consoles now? I think so. Yeah, yeah. it's either eighth or ninth. Eighth gen was PS4. So yeah, so yeah, ninth gen. Ninth gen. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, Saul, I'm going to start with you because I'm curious to see the things that matter to you first because. Typically, you play games a lot differently than I do, I find. Well, for me, this to- this topic might be a little different on my end of things because I don't really care, nor have I attempted to make a guess at any kind of studio acquisitions. Oh, yeah, sure. Stuff like that. Um, for me, it's more of what I hope to see in terms of ease of use, uh, practices that are changed, um, any kind of stuff like that. There, I might squeeze a game out here, but yeah. like realistically, the game I wanted the most was Bloodborne Remade. I mean, uh, Demon's Souls Remade, and we got that. And I'm not entirely sure. Like, like we know Elden Ring's coming, so I don't really know of any games I want from this coming up generation that I think will just knock my socks off. So for me, Bloodborne Two. Yeah, I guess Bloodborne Two. But you'd have to really make it as good as Bloodborne for it to work. Um, for me personally, I will start with the digital rights. Uh, and I think that they should add a gifting and refund function to digital purchases, uh, similar to Steam, where you can gift a game to someone who can't afford it or doesn't want to buy it. And you're just like, hey, play it with me. I'll buy it for you. Or uh, the refund option. You know, They need to figure out a true refund option, not this crap they have now, where if it's downloaded, you automatically disqualify. Yeah. It and needs to be like... That's specifically a PlayStation problem. Thankfully, Xbox has figured this one out. Yeah, and and they can do stuff like... If it's an indie game that 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 they have people's times clocked for mm-hmm. these games, figure out like for even if you have to do it by like an indie game basis and say like twenty minutes or less of game played, you can refund it because I'm sure there are games you can buy and beat on the PlayStation Store for twenty minutes, but they're far and few in between, and they're what at a dollar or two. Well, it depends. I mean, it, you have games like Gone Home, which I think is like typically around eight to twelve dollars. That's can be beat again, can be beat, and like. 10 minutes something like that it's very quick that's that's one of those like fake endings though isn't it no it's like if you just it's one of those games that's meant to be like normal puzzle telling yeah or storytelling but with like kind of puzzles while you're trying to figure it out like i don't know that you ever played it but it was really cool i never played it Uh or not not gone home i'm sorry but there's a game that i think i at least talked to you about where like you download a game but when you open it it's like you're going through someone else's phone. I told you about that. that maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I, I can't think what that game's called, but yeah, I told you about okay, that. Okay, yeah. I know that someone told me about it. Yeah. It must have been you. It was a good game. It was good. <laughs> it's fun. But my point being is that if you know exactly what you're supposed to do there, you can fly through that. The fun of that is is you don't really know what to do. So a game like Gone Home, for example, right? And this is speaking to your ability for things to be abused, is that if you are just trying to get Gone Home to get like 100%, I don't think it has a platinum, but if you just want to run through and grab all the trophies, you can follow a guide, download it, and then go. Tacoma, I think, is a very similar game that you can do in like an hour. Uh, So when you have those types of games, there does need to be a limit to where Steam and Xbox's thing is normally two hours, right? 
Uh, two hours on Steam. I don't know what it is on Xbox. I think Xbox copied Steam in the long run. Yeah. I so. mean, and I mean, when you really think about it, uh, you can download Gone Home on Steam. Gone Home on Steam is probably the exact same. Like, I wonder how much it costs. But, like, if if they don't have an issue with people doing this, or if the issue is very un- not widespread, then why would it be an issue on PlayStation side of things? Um, it's still $15 on Steam. And yeah. if if I could buy this game right now and then do the quick ending thing and then re and then re, refund it, first of all, like that's you're not even experiencing the full game, so it's it's almost next to no reason to do so. Oh, it's true, but I just don't think that if you can try your best to keep it, I think it would be cool that if there's a reasonable thing where you can look and be like, uh, you are trying to refund a game that you played twenty minutes of. Okay, well maybe you can get it in ten minutes. Most people are gonna not be able to do anything with that, but it's fine. Maybe it would be really cool and I don't I don't see any reason why not. That they can't look at your trophies. If you go to re- refund a game and but you've earned all the trophies or most of the trophies, I'd say, eh, you don't get it, you know? A normal lost phone. I was about to say something lost phone. I remember that much. But um it's was that, is it, that it's cool is it made by the paper book? I don't, it just has echoes of gone home. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like there, there has to be some kind of middle ground that Sony can get and they tried, but they fell flat because the fact that you can't have the game downloaded. Well, that's stupid because if you pre-order a game and you can download it, you still haven't played the game. Yeah. So if so, I want to cancel and refund my pre-order, I can't because I downloaded it, but it's locked. I can't play it yet. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So yeah, I certainly think, and even then, right? I think it comes to the thing of where you if you buy a game, you download it, but you don't play it. But then you see something or something happens where you're like, I don't really need to play this right now. I'm not going to play. I haven't touched it. Haven't done anything to it. Yeah. Even if you've downloaded it, I think it should at least, if you want to try and have a middle ground, Sony, your bare minimum middle ground should be if the game has just not been played. Yeah. Ideally. Something going along the hours, of the, the lines of the two-hour thing would be nice, but I understand that there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for abuse, definitely with trophy hunters. So you you have to find the line, even if it's even if it's twenty minutes. If you've played a game for twenty more than twenty minutes, you get into that thing too. Though some games you don't play until twenty minutes in, but you know a, a system level feature that could be done is for you to make it to where developers can put a, put a timer in that starts without you knowing where it doesn't start counting game time for refund purposes until you're actually playing the game. Yeah. Or Sony can make it so that, or maybe they can't, I don't know, but it'd be cool. If you refund a game that you played, they take all, all the trophies you earned back from it. Ooh. They refund all the trophies too. So all your trophies get removed. Yeah. So even if you only earned one or two trophies that you might get from like games that have tutorials that give you a trophy as soon as you did it. Yeah. You get, you, they're taken away. People would probably like that because you know, right now you can delete a game from your list if you've never earned a trophy. Yeah. But if you've earned a trophy, it's just there. I'm sure people would like to just take it away and be like, I have one less game that I only have 1% on. I think that would be done pretty well. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. And then it would stop people. Yeah, that's a good thing too. It would that's stop probably the hunters. easiest thing. It would stop trophy hunters from just buying a game that costs, you know, like what was that one puzzle game? The 1,000 most rated or something. <laughs> That was like, terrible name. Yeah, like you could easily follow a video guide and beat that in less than I think four minutes. I think it was it, and it costs like a dollar or something. But yeah. even then, they can easily make it so that games that under that are under like five ninety nine can't be refunded at, under any circumstances. And then um, once refunded a- after 
one hour of playtime or whatever it is, um, all trophies and all uh, trophy experience to your gamer score, not gamer score, your gamer level, will then be taken back away. Yeah. And they could easily make it that way. But I, I think, think that that's a good in-between. But they, they came in super strong with the digital console, and they sold so much of the digital console. And as we saw from numbers last gen, or this gen, I guess, PS4 gen, I don't know, um, digital gamers are up, up on the rise. Like, they are very prominent and the digital sales are ridiculous but in order to keep that momentum going and to keep this to be a more viable service for digital people there needs to be some form of refund system and obviously i'm not the professional to put that in there or to, to say what it should be but i think that it could be done very well and stop people from abusing the system even though that requires you to get a, a psn ban or something if you uh constantly abuse it because that happens on steam if you just go through and refund like 10 Steam games in a row or something, I think that you actually get emailed by Steam and they're like, are you just buying games to test out your system? Like, what's going on? Like, I think they actually investigate why you're buying yeah. and refunding games. Um, yeah, if nothing else, even if it's a soft ban the first time, they'll be like, hey, yeah. you know, we're, we're aware of what you're doing. Stop. And, and the funny thing about this is, is that if they ban you from buying games, if you have a digital-only console... You're done. You they, you take those threats seriously. Um, yeah. So while we're on the topic of digital rights, mm -hmm. and it's not something new. If you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard me talk about it. But I just would be remiss because what we're talking about digital only systems. My biggest fear about them all, and it's not even really a fear. It's just my biggest hang up with them is like when they first announced the Xbox uh, One S yeah. all digital. I thought. This is the same problem I have with the now all-digital PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series S. That when you buy games, you don't actually have any control over them. And I have said a number of times that while we're on the idea of digital rights and your ability to refund games and your ability to buy a game from the store but send that bot thing to another user, yeah. I think all of those things are great. I'm glad that Wishlist is on the, the system level now for PS5, though I think that there's a disconnect between the browser version. But regardless... My hope is that while we're talking about those digital rights, that that also extends into your ability to gift a game, sell a game, whatever it be, to someone just because you're through with the digital rights. If you want to have it to where you'll never play Assassin's Creed Valhalla that you own digitally ever again, that you can go, my buddy really wants to play it. I'm either going to let him borrow it by allowing him to have access to my code or to my license for two weeks, and then after that two weeks, it'll automatically come back to me, or... I can outright give him the game or I can outright sell him the game for whatever agreed upon price that we've dealt. We we've seen fit. I would love that to come and be something that's on all digital things. And I even include that outside of games. I think digital movies should have that same right because much like you typically see at yard sales where people have movies that they've bought and then watched and then watched enough times where they're like, you know, I don't think I'll ever watch that again. You should be able to sell it and get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't think that any digital marketplace allows you to sell your games. No, not yet. And I don't think they even allow you to gift them your games. Yeah. And I think the reasoning for that is that you can only buy them for people. And that's because you saw how it happens on eBay now with the stupid PS Plus thing that people have been doing. Where they're like, um, you can now, you could buy a slot on somebody else's console for on eBay to unlock their PS Plus and the, and the game share. 
I haven't seen that. So it's it, not surprising. You can only imagine that, like, I'm done with Valhalla. Here's Valhalla selling for $40. Well, now, does Sony lose $40 on that? Of course. And yeah, that's why. That's what I was about to say. The reason, outside of all that, the yeah. real reason is because they want you to be locked behind your purchases. And if you if you buy it, then the used game market goes down. And that takes less control away from the consumer and puts more control directly in the hands of the publishers and the actual uh, platform. Which you don't want. Personally, I don't think you want it. Yeah, yeah, because, well, I mean, that's the thing is that if there's no consumer power in anything, then you don't ever get a say in it. Yeah, well, and and I think it still comes down to the basic thing of you don't own that. You absolutely do not own Valhalla if you bought it for 60. You spent the exact same amount of money as I did, but you don't actually own it. You own the ability to play it until they decide that you can't, which does happen. Well, see, and that's a that's a problem that thankfully doesn't happen to games very often. But there have been a number of movies that people have bought on Amazon and had their rights to watch it even completely taken away from them. That's why I don't mind that you won the physical version of Burger King that I'm buying. Because yeah. if if say if I buy Demon Souls or something and Sony wants to go super, you know neo-communist and they're like okay well after one year all your digital purchases are gone i can go to the store and buy a copy of demon souls yeah like which not that these things will happen no, but, but you're you're leaving the ability for them too by leaving this up on the table i think that digital rights across the board including what you're talking about all need to be brought up to be more serious because yeah. it is it should be yours you bought it and even more so when you're buying it for the same price or sometimes in certain countries, even more than I yeah, am, even higher. day one, not even under sales. There are, there are companies and or countries rather where the digital version is $10 more than the the physical version, which makes no sense. Zero sense. Yeah. And that's just, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. So for me, my biggest proponent for next gen would have to be stronger digital rights and I kind of want them to keep the flow that they have with the PlayStation Store they have now. Um, the ability to do stuff on my app, on my for all my PlayStation, is amazing. The ability to be able to buy games and download them, keep that going, make it stronger. I think I read that if you have a wish list, you can have like you can make a wish list, but it won't still won't notify you when games go on sale. I think that's correct. Which is which is a big like, what's the point of a wish list? Then I guess. Um, guess so that all the games are there without you having to go research, like search for them again. But yeah. Now if it shows like like if you go into your wish list and it so, shows a discount price, that's one thing. That's cool. That's yeah, a, that's that's, that's a move forward. Um, yeah. But there needs to be a PSN notification that's you know Persona Five Royal is now thirty nine ninety nine on sale in this PS Plus deal or whatever it is. Um, but the other big thing is censorship. Like they they still aren't relenting on censorship as much as they could be. And I don't get it, but I also don't think that that's a problem that will be fixed because they just show that they don't care currently. And there's been lots and lots of outcry on various platforms and they really aren't relenting at all there. I don't even think they've changed a single thing that, that has been censored and it was mentioned out of fan criticism and stuff like devil may cry 5 is like why you know an m rated game the devil may cry 5 thing was patched later out uh just like you remember that time we talked about how outlast i think it was outlast 2 Mm -hmm. was able to repatch some stuff in that didn't pass certification the first time I might be wrong on remembering exactly that, but the idea I, in my head is that they were able to add stuff into the game that originally was going to make it be adult only. But, I think it was Outlast too. But regardless, you know, with all of that going on, uh, what made me think of is if Devil May Cry Five on PlayStation Four patched that out, 
did the PS5 re- release that just happened, was it back in there? Because this is technically a new release that had to be recertified. I don't know. And yeah, okay, so it is. Outlast 2 adding content that was too adult for original release. So that comes down to that weird thing where is the ESRB kind of being skirted around there? And in that sense, could Sony, which Sony has to approve patches, sadly. I don't think the ESRB has to re-rate patches. You know what I mean? Yeah. But sadly, I was going to say it would be cool if games were able to release and then go skirt around Sony. I should say, while we're talking about this, Sony's a company, and they're owned by people, and ultimately, I do believe that companies should be able to set their own rules. And if Sony wants to censor their games and say that you can't be on our platform without it, they have every right to do so. I just really disagree with it. And yeah. in my ideal situation, liking Sony, I, I go as far as say loving Sony. I think they have done a lot of good stuff in my life and given me a lot of great experiences. But my ideal form of Sony does not see a need to censorship or to censor products and instead let people go through and determine what they think is too much for them and then not buy it. That's an age-old system that has always worked, and it allows personal freedom to be put in there. It allows artists freedom to flex what they want to, and without somebody else determining what they think is too much. The ESRB is there for a reason. They do their job. If something is too much, they will rate it as such. If it's not too much, they will, again, rate it as such, and we will be left to make that decision on our own. Just because people can buy games for 12-year-olds that are adult-only does not mean anything. I, I wish companies in general would just start manning up to all consumers. And like, even that means them to tell us for shutting up for having to run the company. Fine. But like for me, I can't stand whenever I see articles that say like, you know, this, this, this anime girl should have been uncovered or like devil may cry five was correct for, uh, or sh- shouldn't have done this or that. I wish companies would just start reaching out and be like, shut up. This is our game. We did it this way for a reason. Or even Sony to say, listen, this is, you know, if it's not a Sony game, like Devil May Cry 5, right? Sony, all they need to say is, we are a platform in which people can choose what experiences they want to play. Yeah, choose something else. Like, choose something else. And then that goes back and says, hey, you go to Capcom, and then Capcom can say, this is our game. We made the decision over what we wanted to make. And that's why, you know, I had a discussion with Chris the other day about, uh, about Square Enix choosing to self-censor before it ever gets to Sony. And he even said, like, he doesn't agree with censorship either, but he even said if he was Square Enix, that's probably what he would do. Because if you're going to get censored in the long run anyway, wouldn't it make more sense to make a department within your company on one of your biggest platforms, PlayStation, to go ahead and kind of look and go, what do we think is going to be an ethical problem in terms of either outright real ethics, which does have a benefit, or... What do we think is going to be a problem to where Sony would delay this game up our development cost where we have to change something because we did not get it approved and then we have to repay for certification. If they can go ahead and say, ah, maybe Tifa's cleavage, uh, cleavage is going to be a little too much here. Let's back off on that. Or this will be too much leg or this person does this. It does make sense for them to self-censor. And while I'm upset that that's the reality of what we have to come to, at least it's not Sony coming back and saying, hey, this is what you made. We don't like it. Change it. Yeah. And even then, though, it's just my, my thing is, is that at that point, the consumer wouldn't know that this was censored, but it gets uncensored in other territories and not just make it one thing. 
Well, see, that's the thing. Square ends up because of what they're doing. It will be one thing. It would right. be censored across the board. The, the the shame is the smaller developers that we see making like those Kenrin uh, or what are they? Kagura. What is it? They're a marvelous AQ game. Is it Shinrin Kagura? Shinrin Kagura. Thank you. Shinrin Kagura. Okay, that's some. Um, Real super anime thing with a bunch of where they get scantily clad women. They get censored here, but not in the east. Well, they get censored specifically on PlayStation, but if when you were able to buy the games on Switch, they were not. Yeah, and it it says a lot when the company that prides themselves on being the family system will not censor games and instead just let it come out. Yeah, I mean that's that's (laughs) but Sony, who's supposed to be the adult gaming system. Well, it's unfair is what it kind of boils down to. Is that like so, how, how some things are censored on one thing but not the other. Just make it consistent, and I guess that's my complaint. But um, that's pretty much that, – that's, that's, that's my goals right there for next gen. Man, you have very easy goals, and that's cool. I do. Mine are pretty easy too. My first one comes up, and it's something that has been just going around through a lot of people uh, with me talking with different listeners, talking with some of my friends who finally gotten a PlayStation 5 and are doing so, is – that I hope that this gen sees us get back some of the features that PS4 had that PS5 naturally has lost. And I don't know what it is, but it seems like every company has such a hard time keeping features on that were part of the UI level moving forward and iterating on in a way that moves forward. Instead, you have this thing to where you have Sony having finally, you know, we have... PSP and PS3 eventually got themes, but they had never been done before. So the fact that they came later was cool. But for some reason, when the PS4 launched day one, no themes. PS Vita launched day one, no themes. PS5 launched day one, no themes. Even after you spent time getting Vita to where you could put basically themes on it and PS4 where you could put themes on it. And now we're taking another step back with PS5, back to no themes. I understand at the end of the day, the most important thing should be that your UI works and functions correctly. But if you've been working on this as long as they off, they often talk about, there's no reason that these very basic things of customization that let people make their console feel like theirs should not be available day one. So that's just on themes. My other thing, and Saul, you're not too familiar with it yet, so I know you don't quite know, but one of the features that I'm really missing from the PS4 is your ability to hold down, bring up the quick menu, yeah. Go to the game and then it brings down the ability for trophies. You can click on that and without going away from the game, you see all the trophies. Right. Like how it is now on PS4. And it's automatically set up to where the ones you haven't earned are on top. So it makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at trophies, you're probably wanting to look at the ones that you don't have yet. On PS4 or that's PS4. On PS5 when you open the menu, you sometimes depending on the game will have a trophy on one of your cards. Other times, it doesn't think that that's one of the cards that you need to see. So you have to go down, scroll over to your name, click it, hit trophies, and then it takes you away from the quick screen into the full screen version of trophies. And you have to go through and do that. Now, the system works a lot quicker, so it's not the worst thing. But now I'm having to do more steps for something you had already perfected over the seven years with PlayStation 4. Yeah, why would you regress that? See, and I'm, I, while I haven't had a chance to experience the Series X completely by myself, and Microsoft changes UI so often, mm-hmm. but if nothing else, I appreciate that Series X, its goal going in was to mostly iterate on the One X's and the, and the original the Xbox One UI, 
and move forward with something that's really similar and then also update the Xbox One and One X to include that same UI. Whereas Sony is doing something where it's similar, but there's so many things that are taken out as a result. Whereas the new update of the UI on Xbox One that I have fiddled around with, which is supposed to be the exact same as Series X, just you don't have the SSD speeds, is much more like what it was before it updated than what we have here. And it just sucks. I don't know why there's that need. You know something I haven't gone and looked at? Hmm. And it might already be answered, but I am fairly positive that the PS5 did not launch with a system-level ability to change your controls, which was something that was a really great move. In the accessibility menu on the PS4. Yeah. I almost want to look that up so that I'm not lying, but I don't think I've seen it. You would think that with how highly The Last of Us 2 has touted the accessibilities in there, you would think that the PS5 would have something as well. Mm-hmm. Different color modes for color blindness, different control schemes for people who need them. Well, different... some of it's there. Yeah. But I'm some not saying, of it's not. And I don't know if it's there or not. I don't have a PS5 yet for preface. Yeah. I'm going to look up PS5 UI button mapping. Because, you know, one of the other things they came under Fire 4 a little bit was that it looks like you might be able to. Was that the button for confirm, which has always been circle in Japan, is now X in Japan? Just like it is everywhere else. Worldwide industries. <laughs> All right, let's look. Go down, go to accessibility. This is PS5. We can go to controllers, custom button assignments. Thankfully, it is there. I'm glad that that's one thing they did not leave behind. So that's good to know. I appreciate that. <laughs> but the fact that they've done it with so many other things would leave you to believe that there's a high chance it wouldn't be there. Glad to see that it is, but I would like to see Sony bring back a lot of the features. Folders were something that I think makes no sense to not have day one. Uh, even Wait, they don't have folders? Folders day one on PS5 does not exist. Why? I don't know. Why? That, that doesn't make any sense at all. Folders existed on PS3, but didn't exist on PS4 when it launched either. I don't, I don't get how companies can take UIs. Say if you go from a new phone to an old phone, or an old phone to a new phone, phones, consoles, cars, whatever it is, and regress in such easy steps. Everybody I know, you'd be uses furious. folders. I don't, but everybody I know other than you uses folders. That's I even know if that's it's, true. Even if it's just putting Sony's apps in one folder. I'll take that back. I don't use folders on PS5 because the way I play games means that they're always right there in the front anyway. Right. And because I use disc. When you put a disc in, it's automatically there. Right. Digital people, it matters more. But because I use my Vita in a mostly digital sense, all of my Vita titles are in bubbles. Right. Where they're like ones that are together. Like, okay, these are all action adventure. These are all whatever. And that's the B- the Vita's folder in a way. Yeah. And see, that didn't launch with folders either. That had to come later. So you get to this thing where I don't understand. Like you said, phones were the first thing I thought of. If you had a phone, and let's just keep it within a single line because that makes the most sense. You're buying a PS4, you're going to a PS, or you bought a PS5 from a PS4, you'd expect it to be the same. If you bought an iPhone 11 and then you went to an iPhone 12 and then suddenly you didn't have the ability to do FaceTime. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like Especially if it's a simple usable feature that a lot of people take advantage of and why it regresses has to be a pet peeve of mine in a big form. You would think that when designing the new UI, you'd go, 
people loved folders. We had to work that in. We're going to make sure it's here day one. Yeah. Like this is what are the staples of the UI? The staples of the UI are button mapping for accessibility, folders so that people can better organize their games, the ability to have themes so that you can customize and have what you want. Themes also doesn't make any sense. Why? Like why? I just don't get it. Why? Like even if it's because of the theme store and the theme store wasn't ready yet, let people make custom themes. Nobody. I don't. I also don't know anybody who buys custom themes. I, everybody I know, speak up in Discord or on Twitter or on Facebook and let me know because I'm curious. Have you bought themes? Or do you typically just get the ones that come free? Yeah, or do you just use your pre-order themes or your, your, your collector's edition themes or do you make your own themes like with your own, you know, you could take a custom theme and then make it the buttons and then make your own background. Not even that. Why don't you have the ability, day one, to just set your own picture as a background? You can't do that? No. What is... Why? <laughs> I'm. I'm. I, let, again, let me double check. Don't but make me mad for no reason. Because if you say that, I'm, there I'm, is. I promise you. I don't think you can change your background. No. Nope. Yeah. 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 This. This. It just doesn't make sense. You know, you kind of made earlier. I made a made a comment earlier when you said that the PS5 at launch. What did you say? You said um, the PS5 at launch feels differently than the PS4 at launch, or something. Well, that at launch, the PS4 didn't have all these features, but then built them up. But then we're, you, you know, the best thing I can actually say that it makes me feel like, huh? as stupid as this is, because this is something that used to happen all the time and still is something that games, sequels specifically have to deal with. It feels like when you're playing a game and you beat it and then you play the next game. And because it's a new game, they need you to not be the OP guy you were at the end of the last game. So they make up an excuse to take all your powers away. Yeah. Every Metroid That's game exactly ever. what this feels like. It feels like at the beginning of God of War th- uh, 3 or 2, Three, when they drop you in the river of sticks because you're a god. It's like, well, okay, we need to revoke your godness and then throw you into the river of sticks so that there's a story reason as to why you lose all this stuff and you have to build back up. Every single metal or uh, Metroid game ever. It just... You hate it in games, but you at least somewhat see why it needed to be done. But then you have it here, and there's no reason that is obvious as to why it maybe needed to be done. And so it's even more frustrating. Yeah. But yeah, I think that... If we can get to a point where everything's back and then this would technically be for the following gen, I would hope that whatever PS6 is understands that and then iterates. And instead of losing a bunch of features, you iterate like what they've done here. This UI does not look that different from PS4, but it's a little sleeker. So you would imagine that this would be like, we're just... We're improving on the PS4's UI by iterating upon it. But instead, it seems like you just rebuilt one from the ground up, which is cool. Yeah. But if you're going to do that, make sure that those base-level features are there. So that's one. Uh, games, for me, is something that comes to mind. I really am torn, and I have been as I've been thinking about this, as to whether I want to see a new Infamous but I feel like I would love to see a new Infamous because of the fact that there's so many powers that you can do in that particular thing to where Infamous is a run that doesn't have a well that never has to run dry as long as you have creative people behind it. True. If you can think of an interesting power set and then make a game that has you doing that power set, it'd be like right now you have Spider-Man and Spider-Man, you understand what his power sets are. Web. Yeah. But then you can make Miles Morales who has a couple of different powers and naturally he has some of those same ones, but a couple of different ones. Why can't you do that with the next one with, you know, with infamous, why can't you go through a lot of people thought you couldn't step back from second son having four powers. 
which three of which were actually fleshed out in one concrete, which was just, you got it. <laughs> but I think that that's wrong because even though it's a shorter game, first light focusing specifically on the, um, neon powers, but then actually expanding out the neon power set more than the actual game did made a lot more sense. And I think it made a really great game. And I think that you could do that. You know, they talked about some power sets for second son, like they were going to have glass powers where you'd be able to like pull glass in and shoot shards of people. That'd be sick. And when you're thinking about a game where you're in a, you're in a sprawling city, all of the games have been, you have glass galore. So it's a perfect power to use in this concrete jungle, you know, just like concrete was a perfect power to use where oh, you're always around concrete. So you can pull it out of anywhere and then be able to play on, Oh, you're in the forest and the forest has no concrete. What do you do? <laughs> I would be curious as to what their next infamous game would be and what the powers would be like, go to the moon and give me moon rock powers. Again, and they make aliens of again. There's no reason they can't. Infamous is just about having powers and having moral decisions that come with those powers. That's every superhero game ever. Yeah. Or what I mean is every superhero story ever. Well, yeah. And Uh, then you can make that into a game and they don't have to be connected. You can connect them if you want to, but you don't have to. And that's really cool. The bigger question I have around Sucker Punch, though, because I don't know that Sucker Punch would be the ones to make a new Infamous, is what they do next in general. Because I am probably going to say something that's crazy. I don't think that a sequel makes sense for Ghost of Tsushima. Don't say that too much about why. I'm not going to say too much. I just personally don't think it makes sense. You certainly can, but I don't think it makes sense. I think you're stretching an idea much longer than it needed to be. Like, much further than it needed to go. So, that's one of the games uh, that I had in mind. I also, clearly, as if you haven't known, when the Insomniac purchase happened, Insomniac have a bunch of teams. Oh, yeah. I really, really want to see Insomniac be able to come back to the idea of resistance. And I would love to see after a generation, a full generation of Sony not having a single first party, first person shooter outside of Killzone at launch. What does that look like? What do we get now? And that kind of comes into my idea of seeing Sony, and I don't know that they'll necessarily do it, but we talked about it with the indie games and like what they did with uh, Concrete Genie, where. I want to see Sony back off a little bit and still do these big games, but allow a couple of teams and studios to make smaller games at that like $40 price point. Definitely. Now that they've moved up to that 70, like, what are you going to just give me a first person shooter game with a really great 15 hour campaign that pushes some limits, has a great story and cost $40, no multiplayer or give me one with multiplayer and cost $60. I don't care. But be a little more free with how you let people go because while I love the Sony game at the same time, I love the idea of Sony moving away to where when they announce a game, you're not like, Oh yeah. Third person action adventure. Yeah. And kind of over, oversaturated. What the third person action adventure. Yeah. Now I know that they're the worry about like the first person shooter. That's just an example, by the way, there's plenty of games that Sony have made that are not necessarily falling into that same thing. Like what we're seeing with Sackboy, a big adventure. That's awesome. Seeing them do platformers. That's very unlike Sony. Um, we've seen a couple of examples this gen, but not a lot, but yeah, I want to see them be a little more 
I want them to be thought of for more than just the over the shoulder third person action adventure game with a big focus on story. Because while I love those and I'm glad they do them and want them to continue to do them, there's no reason that you can't have a company with a little bit more variety. And I feel like while PS4 might have been an overall better gen for games in terms of how they rated and how they stuck with you, I think that the best mix we've had from Sony so far was PS3. They had a lot of really great story-driven games that were that third-person action-adventure game. They had a lot of ones that were open-world games with like Infamous 1 and 2. And then we also got to see them do things like Killzone and Resistance and even smaller games like Puppeteer and Rain. And I think it was called Rain. But... Concrete Jungle even, you know, there you have those things where when you thought about a Sony game during the PS3 era, you didn't immediately think third person action adventure. Right. But you do now. True. So that's one of mine. I mean, that's one of my big things. Uh for you in particular though, do you have any studio acquisition that comes to mind? Because I know you didn't have a lot of games. Nuh-uh. Is there a studio that you've seen anybody working with, be it Sony, Xbox, whatever, that when you look at it and think, they just make sense together? That's not already happened. Xbox has been on a buying spree. But... Other, other than Blue Point. So Blue Point. Yeah, that's, that's the that's only one. one. Yeah. Blue Point and or uh, Kojima. See, Kojima, I still wonder. And what his next game gets announced for will be a big tell as to whether he's going to just keep being a de facto Sony studio without actually being owned by them, but still releasing his games on PC. Or if his next game goes multi-plat, that'll tell a lot. But I I don't know. Because it's already... Can you imagine what it would be like if he uses Decima for his next game and then it goes on the Xbox Series X? Interesting. Yeah, uh, that would... I can, can that happen? I don't know. Is that that depends on that depends on the contractual agreements that they made. Clearly, because they had plans for Horizon PC, and even if they didn't at that time, they contractually allowed Decima to, to be used on PC. True. Contractually, you know, yeah. they said, "Hey, you're going to make your game. It's going to come out on ours first, but then you can release on PC with the same engine." So, not saying it's impossible, but if he likes that engine and he's still been working on it. And, you know, he put so much work into that engine to begin with. Does he drop that to be able to go multi-platform and build a new engine from scratch or go Unreal? Or does he keep doing it and stick with Sony and PC as his only platforms? I, th- I would think that, yeah. I would think he would stick with Sony and PC. I still think that Sony would buy him, buy his company, and then make that a contractual thing, like where his games still appear on PC four months after launch or whatever. Whatever it be. Whatever but still own him did. outright. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. That sounds like a weird way because I'm sure that's why he didn't want to be with Konami who probably owned him (laughs) as far as he was concerned. But you can own Kojima Productions and still be given a level of creative freedom. Yeah. And I think that as long as Sony gives him that creative freedom, it'll be fine. And I wonder if he feels like he has any reason to believe that they didn't. You know, because like, I don't think it was necessarily, which it is what it is. Kojima's made games for other systems, but... I wonder if the reason that Metal Gear Solid went multi-plat was because of a push from Kojima or if it was from a push from Konami. Because the only reason I say that is that that would be more indicative of of if there's ever been a time where Sony and Kojima were not in perfect, you know, side by side in a boat where they don't feel like they've ever wronged each other. 
I don't know. That's a good question. The fact that he would leave Konami and then immediately go to Sony makes me think that he had never had a bad experience with Sony prior, though. Because if you just left an abusive company, why would you go into a relationship with a company that you know has done you wrong before? True, but then again, why go in with just the off chance that it could happen? Yeah. Even if there wasn't any wrongdoing before. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to think about. But that's the only... Realistically, this, this next... This next gen has kind of already been molded by this previous gen in ways that I've I've grown accustomed to, I guess. So it's realistically only further into the digital rights for me. That's really like that and censorship and maintaining the level of quality that is already currently present with this generation or this, you know, generation eight, I think is my only hopes and like wishes because I know that they'll keep making high quality games. I know that game developers that are currently making games that I'm looking forward to are still in development. There's backwards compatibility, which I, which is all that I would have asked for if this was the thing. Um, realistically. Yeah. Like it's just keep this train going at this pace. And I think we'll be fine. I have one for you, huh. but before I get there, while we're talking about blue point, just because it's, it's the thing of this. It's the, right now it's the hot topic for anybody who likes this. It's kind of a dual thing. So first of all, Throughout this next gen, do you hope to see what started in the PS4 gen with remakes continue to where we get more and more often we get full-on ground-up remakes of yes. games? Okay. Absolutely. I figured you did. What do you think? A, what do you think Bluepoint is working on next? B, what would you like Bluepoint to actually work on next? Metal Gear Solid for both answers. Is it because of the sound that happens in the Nexus, or is it just... I don't know what it is, but like I feel like there's something else they're working on. So either Metal Gear Solid for both answers or Bloodborne for both answers. You think they'd remake Bloodborne? I mean, Bloodborne has problems. Like it, it, the frame, the frame in that game, the frame rate, the frame pacing—that's pretty bad problems. And but don't you think they could just ascend, which Bluepoint used to do remasters? So it's not beyond for Bluepoint to just remaster. Yeah, if they were just remastered it, fine. But if they need to do a ground up remake, it would be Metal Gear Solid. Hmm. Especially with the announcement of the casting for um, the movie, which was interesting. I, yeah, I thought I saw that too. I like so. Oscar Isaac, and he he definitely fits the part. So just yeah. to see if the movie's going to be any good. Which, but did you see all the things that were saying he's going to be Solid Snake, and then they kept showing him? They side kept by showing side. him as Venom Snake. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, and and they also said Metal Gear Solid came out in 1987 on the PlayStation. Okay, great. That's because that was totally out in 1987. Yeah. On the PlayStation. Now, Metal Gear was. Yeah, Metal Gear. But that was a Nintendo game. <laughs> so, was it a Nintendo game or was it the, uh, what is that system called? Don't say Famicom or I'll smack you. Not Famicom. Okay. Oh. It, was, it? It, it, it came out on Nintendo, I think. I think that was Metal Gear. I think it was a multi-platform game, though, wasn't it? Um, I don't think so. Let's see. Metal Gear. I don't know why I can't think of the name of that system from the original game. MSX. MSX, yes. Which I don't it was that a, I don't even actually know. Was that a console? Just I think home, it was. It's just a computer. Oh, was it a home computer? It's a computer, yeah. Yeah. Metal Gear came out in nineteen eighty seven on MSX. Um and then later got taken to Game Boy and Nintendo. Yeah. Because I'm about to say I know that whenever you played the original ones that came in the remaster collection of two and three, that they were all labeled as the MSX games. And of course I've never played them on an MSX, but so it, it came out in it came out the same year on MSX and Nintendo, but then it didn't come to American Nintendo until 1988, a year oh. later. 
Okay. And then, of course, it, the next system I went to was the Game Boy. Interesting. Okay. Um, for me, Blue Point, and I think that Metal Gear Solid's a good answer for a number of reasons, though it also... I, really what it is is because Konami's not going to do anything with it, seemingly, and Konami is very uninterested in making games, and it. I don't know if this is actually true, but it would appear that Konami doesn't even have a development branch anymore. I'm not surprised. So if Konami was going to be doing this, they would be seeking out a independent studio to make the game, and then they would just be licensed. I, I don't mean technically not. It would be like a second-party game for Konami where they'd bring in a studio to make their game. But if they can just have Sony go to them and say, hey, we'll either outright buy the license from you, which I think they have less reason to do, Konami does, but they have more reason to have Sony go to them and say, we have, we've had a great relationship. Let's license the Metal Gear Solid series to us for 10 years, 12 years, whatever it be that they decide upon, and let us choose what studio we want to make it. And then Sony has the rights at that point to say, we're going to remake Metal Gear Solid 1. We're going to make a new Metal Gear Solid. We're going to reboot Metal Gear Solid. Who knows what the answer would be, but they would have the freedom to do so. And because Konami's clearly not going to be doing anything with it anyway at that point, then it makes the most sense to me to just let it go into Sony and have Sony choose Blue Point to do that with a remake. And a remake makes the most sense. For people that didn't get in the five, the remake would be a cool way to show off the game series and then let people experience the first one with a new spit shine. And then you can go on from there. Yeah, like. I, I, but the question always comes: Do you remake this? Do you, do you remake two after that? Do you remake three? What do you do? Do you remake so. one and then make a new game? No. I would think you would remake. Do you remake one with Blue Point and then you let Kojima get Metal Solid back? Would Kojima even do it? Honestly, Metal Solid is really only playable on one system currently. Right? Like I mean, guess two. I guess the original PlayStation and GameCube. The original one. That's what I said, the original yeah. PlayStation or GameCube. Well, PC. No. Could you play Metal Solid 1 on PC? Yeah, it was part of the recent releases they did. That's right. Yeah. But all the other ones have been remade, and you can actually play all the other ones on, like, PlayStation Now, you can play the Metal Solid Collection, mm-hmm. which is 2, 3, and... Uh, no, it's not 4. 2, it, 3, and four? Peace Walker. Yeah, 2, 3, and Peace Walker. Um, so, Solid, I think, would be enough and I think that would may, maybe even get a next gen remaster of all those games too, like a like a just a, an HD simple remaster, or at least four, because four has only been on one console ever. Yeah, I think four makes the most sense to, even if it was just taking four and bringing it in four K. I'm curious as to what how I would stand on four now because it's not not my least favorite Metal Gear Solid game, but it is definitely not one of my top threes because it's Metal Gear Solid one, two, and three. I feel. I mean, I don't agree. I, I've, I've long said Metal Gear Solid 4, to me, is the perfect Metal Gear Solid game. Absolutely not. <laughs> so what was the community's take again? Um, oh, We're just going to uh, ask them this question yeah, in reverse. Basically, what do you want from next gen? Do you want to see more cross-play stuff? Do you want to see... I mean, I guess I should say cross-save. And I didn't get to my one for you. I, it's really quick, and I do think you'll agree. Okay. One of the things you'll notice on PS5 whenever you finally get it is that so far, pretty much every game has a performance mode. That is not what we saw on PS4 Pro. No. And if we saw a performance mode, it wasn't 60 frames per second. Every one of them right now seems to be a 60 frames per second mode that mostly sticks there and stays there. Okay. Or a graphical that sticks to 30 and looks really great. I would imagine that for you, that would be something that I'm actually starting to go a little more towards you. It depends on the game still. 
but mainly 60 frames. I don't know if you noticed last time you played my demon souls. It was 30. Frames. It was 30. It was 30 frames of motion blur all the way on or something. And now it's 60 frames. Yeah. Per thank God. Because I noticed I, that I didn't say nothing. I was like, Oh, see, thank you. He's, he's learned the ways. <laughs> and what happened is I played Spider-Man, a game that ran, looked everything fine at 30. But since I had to do new game plus, I did like what I did with, uh, Hellblade. You just played it different. Where I was like, if I'm going to go ahead and replay it anyway, because the game's making me for a trophy, I'm going to play it at 60 frames per second. I left Miles Morales at one point at 60 frames per second, and I started up Demon Souls, and I was like, once, you, once Okay, see, this is, this is the way of the 60 frames. Once you experience it, and you get used to it, it's so hard to go back. Yeah. Like Sackboy is 60 frames per second. Yeah. Which that's just a sixty frames per second right. game anyway. Th- those those I would say it's less noticeable just because of how smooth those games already work. Like any kind of side scroller or um, platformer style games. Um, but the second you go from like one third person action adventure or first person shooter to another, and there's half a frame difference, you notice, and you don't like the outcome. I am going to have a rough time playing Destiny on PS4 if I go back like next week to do a raid with PS4 people because it's going to be thirty. So I really come on, Bungie. Why don't you just fix it on PlayStation Four too? Make it 1080p 60. But I, do you remember why they said they couldn't? It, bu- bullshit ass reasons. Excuse my cussing. <laughs> like they took out half the game, and then it's like me and Joe were playing Gambit earlier today, and I was like, you know what? We haven't seen. We we're, we're playing Gambit, and we we're like, the Dreaming City map for game is really good, but why is it not? Why we haven't gotten it? We looked at it's sunset, but guess what's not sunset? The Dreaming City. So how does that make sense? Why is it out of the game of the Dream of City? Isn't I don't know, Bungie, Stockholm Syndrome, yeah, but biatch. I, you know, I wonder with all those things going on. I just one of the big hopes, and I think more people are getting into it, is that idea of letting your game be fourteen forty p upscaled yeah. to four k with sixty frames per second or whatever. So if I think that performance modes that are specifically geared at sixty frames per second locks yeah. are going to be more common. I think as long as it's locked stable. 60 frames should be the go-getter nowadays anyways for the next gen. I shouldn't see a game in 30 frames per second on next-gen consoles. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be them on there. I'm just saying there shouldn't be... An, uh, there, if, I, if I buy a game for $60... It should always be the option. It should always have an option of 60. I should never see 30 frames. But you know what they should see? Our Twitter over at TriangleSQRD. <laughs> And uh, you can follow us on there. That's where you can get engaged in all these fun uh, communities, take activities, as well as our Facebook group, Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast, and, of course, our Discord, which will be linked in the description below. If you want to support this channel, head on over to manscaped.com and use triangle code. Triangle code? Why? Every time. Use discount code SQRD, save 20%, (laughs) and uh, get that free shipping, as well as hit up our Patreon, where you can... Choose a bevy of custom cases at five bucks a month. And then after every quarter, you get to pick one. And you're like, that's a cool one. I want that one. And yep. you get to support the channel. And right now, you get midweek matinee early access. You get and spoiler, spoiler chats. chats early access. So we're working on getting more content out there, which, you know, part of getting more content means that we have to sacrifice other things across me, Saul, and now Chris being part of the show. So I don't that know. is a, your a support outside of just your time is really important and we really appreciate it for those of you who choose to do it yes but, and i don't know if you saw it whenever i left my google keep up earlier but it was filled with yellow bubbles of stuff those are all ideas of stuff where granted that my hd60 s works with the ps5 which i'm pretty sure it does and granted that's not the issue that i had with bloodborne's playthrough yeah there's stuff coming that i want to do um that i even have half of a script written for 
But I think I'm only ditching anyways because I don't like scripts. Um, I'm going to be more freeform. <laughs> but uh, we'd like to thank everybody who watches. Be sure to go to one of our three social media platforms and engage us with Communities Take, in which we're asking you, what do you hope for next gen? Let us know and hear them next week, which we'll see you guys again. Thank you all. Thanks, guys. And remember, share the show with your friends. Yes. But a shout-out to our patrons. We have Kyle Grimm, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villalobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Baconbits, Eric McAllister, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, and lastly, Richard Schaefer. If you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash nartech. I just want to see anime TV, so...